Welcome to the Exponential Podcast, part of a library of thousands of multiplication resources. This library of resources is designed to help you accelerate multiplication in your church and community. Our mission is to equip you as a movement maker with actionable principles, ideas, and solutions with some of today's top leaders. This episode was part of Exponential's online community at multiplication.org. Visit multiplication.org to join the free community and interact with other leaders. Hello, welcome everybody. My name is Pastor Myron Pierce and I am out of Omaha, Nebraska. And I'm here with my friend Ralph Moore uh, in conjunction with Exponential. We're putting on these conversations that are designed to really inspire, equip us in further dialogue. And so without any further ado, I wanna say welcome to every single one of you who are here. Our hope is that this will be a rich time as I get to interview my friend, He's like my grandpa, dad, uncle, all those in, in one WAP. So we're going to be talking about level five, becoming a level five church. And to begin, Ralph, I just want to ask you just for conversation's sake, when we say level five, what do we mean? And then walk us through your history on becoming a level five leader in church. Thanks, Myron. Um, it's a, it, to me, level five liberated me. You know, I've been planting churches ever since 1971, and uh, we've always been kind of the odd man out. Nobody else was, was even thinking about planting churches. In fact, we didn't even understand that that was everybody's responsibility. We thought, well, this is something that we do, and uh, it's our unique little deal. And uh, then I, I, I got plugged into Exponential, and, and I felt like, Boy, I got a life, and, and I had suffered through the whole era of everybody wants to be a mega church, and you know, guys with a hundred people are trying to have six thousand, and that's not going to work. And and so I, it's like I kind of came out of the dark when I got involved with Exponential, and the way that they put it really made sense to me. Explained what I did all my life, and level one is a church that's hurting, maybe shrinking, uh, can't make budget, things are tough. Level two is a church that I, I remember when we were level two, I finally got a regular paycheck, the bills were paid. And the danger at level two is you can get complacent and you can just be a happy camper. And so you stay there, you never really change. Although it's not a bad place to be. And uh, sure better than level one. Level three, it, to me, is just fraught with danger. And that's where the church starts growing and, and you start putting more people in the chairs, uh, the membership role grows, uh, the, the, the tithes are up, and, and you can get sucked into, we're just doing this for the sake of doing this. You know, we're growing so that we can grow. And, uh, you know, in Exponential, they talk about level three is a magnet. The level one and level two guys want to get to level three. But then the problem is to get to level four and five, you got to be willing to get off of level three. And, and there's all, I mean, there's ego things. My books will sell. Um, I'm important in the community, all these things that hold you at level three that make level three a dangerous place. And level four is way better than the first three, and that's where the church begins to reproduce itself. And when I think of level four, I, I think of churches that kind of clone themselves. Uh, a, a lot of people are at what I call three and a half. Three and a half is where you're doing multi-site, and it's usually a video deal, everybody watching the same thing. It just, you know, deals with capacity. But level four, 
we're, we're reproducing churches. They're standalone churches, but they're really usually not very autonomous. They're under the control of the mother church. Control is the key word here. And you're never going to get to level five, which is the point where that you become a movement, which is where we plant a church and they plant a church and they plant a church. And though I'm at the sort of the center of this whole deal, I really don't even have to know the names of the, of the second generation church planters out there. I send you out, you plant a church, and, and then you're free to do what you want to do. And a lot of guys can't get to level five because it's, it feels irresponsible to them. They, they, they feel like they have to maintain control. And so I think level four is a very good place to be because you build a network, the kingdom of God grows instead of the kingdom of Ralph or whoever. But level five is actually a better place because once you release control, uh, then God is free to do things in people very unlike you and in people in odd places. I was on a, on a Zoom call this morning with a friend of mine in the UK. He's actually from Sri Lanka. We're going to interview him. He's going to come up about halfway through this series. But he's been doing some uh, training for his guys, kind of using COVID as a platform for how do we multiply microchurches. And I mean, it's, it's incredible, the, 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 the multiplication growth that they've had. But then people saw his YouTube, because he just tosses the stuff up on YouTube after he does the training. Somebody in Ukraine saw it. Somebody in Argentina saw it. They planted 13 microchurches in Argentina. Now, here's a guy who's never going to even meet the people in person that he that he's launched. So he's free of control issues. And I think that that's the issue. And so that, that's kind of where it's at. And I, I guess you want me to kind of go into my own story? Yeah, so speaking of, so I'm glad you laid out the, the really the five levels of um, what it means to be, you know, level five church, one, two, three, four, and five. Um, I, I do want to mention that as you go into your story, you wrote a book kind of really laying out your journey of becoming a level five church. It's called uh, Let, Let, go of the, Let Go of the Ring. Is that right? Yeah, it's Let Go of the Ring, the Hope Chapel story, and and kind of the story of the book was I'm sitting in a dentist chair. My dentist was a believer, a guy named Ken Hiroshige, a Japanese guy. And I told him, you know, Pat church is a little over 2,000 people now. And, and I felt like God spoke to me in a really weird way in a vision and said to move to Hawaii and to reach 1% of the population when only actually 4% called themselves Christians, including Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. And so I told him this, and, and he goes, hey, you'll never, you'll never do it, Frodo. Um, you'll, you'll never let go of the ring. The big boys never do. Well, I did. And so I wrote this book for our church, but it's become kind of a, of a, kind of a cult book in terms of church planting, church multiplication. And, but in it is our story. And, and, and what happened was I was pastoring this little church. We got to level two. I mean, I was getting paid. Uh, the bills were met. We were happy because it was a, it was a hard scrabble. We started the church with my own personal savings. And I mean, I remember the night we just went dead broke and I thought I was going to move home, live in my dad's basement with my kids. Uh, it's a scary time, but you know, um, the, some people in our church lived about eight miles away and we're in a little section of Los Angeles County where there are actually no freeways. We're right by the ocean and you got to drive about five miles to get to the freeway. So to get to these people's place where they lived about 
eight miles from our church. They were driving there on Sunday mornings, but they wouldn't come back for our evening things. And this is in the old days when you go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, midweek prayer. <clears throat> and so they asked, could you do a Sunday night service in one of our houses? And so we sent a friend of mine named Richard Agozino. And uh, the guy is a carpenter. He's a hippie in the day. Uh, he's a kind of aggressive guy and, and, uh, and my best friend at the time. And, and he and I were, we'd go for walks in the morning around a golf course. We couldn't afford to play golf, but we'd go for walks every Monday morning about 5.30 and just pray. And so he starts leading this little tiny thing. I today call it a microchurch. In those days, it was just a Sunday night Bible study. And two months in, they decide they want to become their own church. And we're in a denomination, and there's three bylaws we'd violate if they did that. So I told them no. And then uh, another friend of mine, a guy named Roy Hicks Jr., he's passed away now, but he was kind of like an older brother to me and, uh, you know, kind of what I hope to be to you, he was to me in those days, although we were pretty close in age. And he, he tells me, Ralph, it's easier to get from forgiveness than to get permission. And so I decided, all right, we're just going to do this, tell the denomination we did it, and see if they'll forgive us. So we did that. And not only did, I mean, this is a really weird thing. Uh, I don't usually talk about this, but not only did a church get born, but, it, but for a few months, maybe 15, 18 months, we were actually at level five. Because when, when Rich started the church, they almost immediately started planting other churches. So by definition, the control issue is just not there. They're just doing what they're going to do. But then as we kind of got into it, we made a program out of it. And so everybody who would go out and plant a church uh, had my fingerprints all over them. Somebody else brought them in the Lord. Somehow they were discipled in our church. We ran a little Bible school called uh, Hope Chapel Ministries Institute, whatever. But by the time they left, I had met with them all for like, you know, five, six weeks, and which I normally do anyway. But the budget, everything that was going to happen, I had control of. So we... We, we went from level two without really ever going to level three. We jumped straight over to level five and then reverted right back to level four. And we were at level four until I moved to Hawaii. When I got to Hawaii, we, we thought we had rented this building and then uh, everything's on the boat. And we're on our way to Hawaii and, and they call up and say, we're not going to rent to you. If you have a church there, you clog the parking lot of this office building. You kill the restaurant that we own. So that was out. So we ended up starting under a tree. It's against the law. There's a policeman drives through every day and gives me a heart attack. And, and so we're, we, we do this, but we have this vision that 40,000 people out of a million call themselves some kind of Christian. We're going to add 10,000 to that, which means that the Church of Jesus Christ will grow by 25% in 10 years. It actually took us 11 to do it. But I don't think anybody's going to come and hear me, you know, 10,000 people hear Ralph Moore. Not going to be. Never was, never will be. But And so I tell these guys, so here's the deal. We're going to do this. And they get excited. And vision inspires people. And I go, so I'm going to train a bunch of you guys out of the 72 people who showed up that first day. And we're all sitting around pretending we're having a picnic at the beach. I'm going to train a bunch of you, and you're going to become church planters. But that will still not get the job done. There's guys in Waikiki selling drugs today, somebody, 
who's going to find Jesus in one of your churches, and you're going to disciple that guy, and he's going to become a church planter. And when we all are doing this over and over again. And so in Hawaii, we started 60-some-odd churches between 1983 and when I left in 2018. And uh, the numbers changed radically. The, the, the state went from 4% calling themselves Christians. I've been telling everybody 67%. I just went back and read the book that George Barna wrote. And it's actually 73% of the people. And now this isn't Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. This is Protestants and Catholics. And 34% of those people surveyed in 2006 said, I was in, in church in the last seven days. So this is, this is real. It's, we didn't do this. We sparked it. Because even the churches we started, we never got really near. But part of the vision was to help other people get in the act. And, and so there's a guy named Norman Nakanishi that we're going to interview here in a, in a few days. Uh, Wayne Cordero, the, the Calvary Chapels. People got into the act. And then tons of little churches that never grew past 100 were meeting in public schools and and that's how it really happened. And, and we got into the nooks and crannies of society. That's what we really want to do. So, so there's tons here, um, Ralph. If you were to say, hey, this, this is how we grew to, because I think the, the last time you checked, it was over 2,400 churches. Is that right? Yeah. A little, the last time we did a survey, it was 2,322 and then I got a bunch of people mad at me because how come you didn't put my name in the list? And it's because I had only done this by email because we never, because we're level five, right? No controls, no reporting system. We're just, we're just going to build a kingdom. And so what, what happened was I just went through my, my Outlook contacts list and everybody whose email I had, I, I did send them a questionnaire. Part of it was, give me the email address of whoever you sent out and I just followed it as far as it could go. So we really have no idea how many are out there, but uh, I got enough people mad at me because, because everybody I sent the first email to when I made the list, I sent a copy of the list. So some guys who hadn't responded didn't see their stuff in there and they all got, and so there's like five of these guys who had started significant number of churches that were mad at me. And uh, so it, it, it's all fun. I love it. That's amazing. So you mentioned earlier that the level three is really a danger zone uh, because it's hard to get there. But then, and then as you're going to four to five, the temptation is always to go back. So that's one thing I, I got from what you said. But then the second thing you kept iterating uh, is the, this idea of control. Can you talk about how, much of an enemy control is to becoming a level five church? Oh my gosh. Uh, I think that control comes in two different forms. And, um, and I, I tend to be a little bit judgmental. And so I want to talk about the first one. And the first one is just personal insecurity. If, if I let this happen, you know, um, it, it's going to threaten who I am, it's going to threaten my position, all, all of that. And I don't really think that's the issue. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the judgmental Ralph Moore. I think the real issue is um, pe people who are kind of maybe hyper-responsible. Uh, some people are just, maybe if you have a spiritual gift of administrations, there's a certain part of you that 
uh, needs to build systems and needs to have uh, what you would see as very adequate controls in place. And, uh, and so that's why I think level four is a good thing. And I think probably many more people will get to level four. I know you're at level five. Uh, you do some crazy things through Facebook ads and you got churches in Uganda and England and London. And, uh, you know, I just, that would just drive other people nuts. I tell your story and it scares some people. But, but I think that, that in a way, that's, that's good. These are responsible individuals. And, you know, then there, are, there is the ego thing. You know, if I let this thing go, I won't have control of it, and, and I need all that. So I, I think that, you know, it's a, it's a place where it, it's not a dangerous place. Level three is a dangerous place. Level four is a place where you really want to stop and think, even if I'm a systems builder, could I build – uh, autonomy, because that's a key word here, into my system where I'm willing to let this guy do what he's going to do. You know, I have a, 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 a relationship that goes nine generations deep. I, I just recorded a podcast with a guy named Joe Mabe, and we sent a 20-year-old named Jeff Fisher to plant a church. He sent a 30-year-old named Dale Yancey from California, he, where he was, where he still is. Uh, from 1982 till now, he's still pastoring Jeff Jeff Fisher in, in the San Fernando Valley. And then he sent this guy, Dale Yancey, to New Hampshire. Dale starts a church. Um, he leads a guy named Tom Johnston to the Lord. Tom starts 16 churches in small New England communities where everybody says Christianity is dead. One of mm. them is Joe Mabe. Joe brings a guy named Rob to the Lord. He plants a church. And I, I've met two more people in that chain that were Rob discipled this guy, and then that guy discipled that guy. And I don't know their names, and I only met Rob once. I know the other guys. but in, And then Tom Johnston, by the way, is doing stuff in the Philippines. There's a couple hundred churches there. So it, once you're willing to say, if I'm a control person, I need systems, but I'm going to build a system that is able to do this other thing. And I think we, we can take the world. Wow. So you're saying a whole bunch, and I know people are, um, they maybe have questions. I know I do. Here's one I have, Ralph. How do you build autonomy wherever you are on the scale? Uh, take a deep breath. That, yeah, what does that look like? You know, like, uh, to to me, uh, it, it sometimes looks quite scary. You know, I I uh, I get involved with people and and I'm not really sure of, of what they're going to do. I I'm involved with a, a church right now. I'm kind of coaching a guy, and uh, he's asked me to kind of come alongside and do a little bit more with him. And uh, he he's starting churches in other countries. They don't have much money. Um, they, their, their model is that they, uh, they, they plant a church by digging a water well. It has to be in a coastal area because they, they, they build a little cheap desalinization plant. And he's in, um, they've got one going in El Salvador, and he's in San Clemente, California. It is about 70 surfers. But he's, he's kind of a little bit like you. He's ballistic about planting churches. So they've already... Uh, started a church in Laguna Beach, California. They've been going less than a year now. And they've just now started a church at Camp Pendleton on the Marine Base. 
and they're getting ready to start a church in San Diego. And, you know, I'm pretty, he, he, he can actually meet with those people. So I feel pretty safe with all that. The guy <laughs> in El Salvador, uh, they're doing Zoom once a week. And I feel pretty safe with that. But now they're going to Bangladesh and India and Puerto Rico. And it's like, there's just so many hours in a week. So how much time can this guy, uh, because these guys are Puerto Rico, Bangladesh, and India, yeah. different cultures. I don't know if you can even get them together in a Zoom meeting and make sense out of it. So I start freaking out. And so at that point, that's when you take the deep breath. And you go, no, no, I, there actually is a Holy Spirit. Yeah. And he is actually smarter than Ralph Moore. And if he's put this in this guy's heart, well, you know, I mean, in 1978, I was flying to Hawaii, and it's a very spiritual moment. I'm walking down the aisle to go to the bathroom, and I saw a vision. And, I mean, I don't even believe in visions. I saw a vision, and, and it was me standing with a bunch of black-haired people, which most people in Hawaii have black hair, up on the side of this mountain. And, I, and, and two things flashed in my mind, three things. did. The first one was five years. The second one was dominant, which I thought meant a dominant spiritual force in the community. And, and that we were supposed to move there in five years, become a dominant spiritual force. And the, the third thought that went through my mind was, this is really stupid, get over it. And you know, I, I love that place. It's beautiful. It's green. It's all that. I, I just spent a week with 1,200 Japanese-American people, and they were really nice to me. And so I'm thinking, you're just making this up. And then 19 days later, my friend comes up the stairs. This is all in Let Go of the Ring. My friend comes up the stairs of the church and describes the vision to me. And it's like, wow. oh, my gosh, you know. And yet when I went to Hawaii, a lot of the people that, that became my friends, about 20 years later, one guy got mad at me, something happened, and then there was this big repentance session, and so they all get together, and then they all tell me, oh, when you first moved here, we just thought you were this stupid holly from the mainland uh, and, and making up this vision garbage. But here's the weird thing. Here's the kicker, that when we finally did obtain land, I wouldn't tell people this for like seven years. When we obtained land, it was the place I had seen in the vision. And I was so afraid that we wouldn't get the building permit, and if I went and told people that, I look like a double idiot. So I, I just think that we have to know that, I mean, you're always talking about Acts chapter 8, that Acts 1, 8 couldn't happen without Acts 8, 1. All these people whose names never got in the Bible, they're the ones who carried the gospel wherever it had to go, and it eventually got to Antioch. And, and so these unnamed ordinary people are the ones that freak us out. And so, again, it's just like suck it up, take a breath, and then go with the Lord. Just go with the flow. That's what I do. Yeah, one of the things I, I love um, in, in closing, Ralph, uh, about you is when I ask you a question, you always tell me a story. And I want to reiterate that much of becoming level five is, is digesting the stories that have gone before us. And you certainly in that book, um, you know, let, let go of the ring. You've laid out through story, real life, scenarios, real life people, ordinary people doing extraordinary things that is quite possible in America because a lot of people say it's not happening in America. And that's not true. The people who are actually level five are just unknown. Yeah. 
And there's a lot of them, I think. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of them. And um, I'm thankful that we're connected to Exponential and, and we're highlighting all of this because we need more leaders like you um, whose stories that we can glean from. I do have a final question. All right. Uh, you're obviously not planting churches right now, although you're thinking about it. Um, what does level five look like for you now? Because you're a level five leader. All right. So, so what does level five look like for you now? Well, I think um, for me now, I'm 74 years old, and one of the biggest blessings in my life is exponential. I wouldn't know you if it wasn't for Todd Wilson. And I'm so thrilled to be a part of Exponential. I mean, they honestly did explain to me and, and make valid what, what I was taking a pounding for, having always done. Everywhere outside of Hawaii, I was still an idiot until I met Todd in Exponential. And so with, with what's happened is I've met a lot of people who are on their way to five or they're already in their head. They're a level five church planter and there's, there's only 60 people. Uh, I, I just got an a email from a guy. I haven't responded to him. You know, I, I want to plant microchurches and da 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 and I got another friend, you know, uh, Paul in Detroit, who uh, was going to plant in September, then COVID hit, and, and he'd been watching you, actually, and goes, there's opportunity here. I'm moving this thing back to Easter. And so he's doing this. So kind of as a level five leader, I'm in a church plant right now. I'm getting ready to really maybe – overhaul things and move heavily into another newly planted church. And I'm getting to coach a lot of people. I'm kind of thanking the Lord for COVID in a way. It sounds bad to say, but it's, it makes it easy to touch to people all around the planet. And I've been doing stuff in Finland and uh, the UK. And, and actually I was in Bangladesh doing something, but all by Zoom and no airplanes. And so, yeah, that's kind of life for me as a, as a, as a old, almost semi-retired you know, although I'm working about 25, 30 hours a week, uh, it, it, it's fun. Yeah, man, you're you're definitely one of you one of I don't know one of my heroes. Uh, definitely number one out of five. I don't even know who the other four are. Uh, we are sure you have tons of questions uh, for Ralph. Please pick up the book. Uh, we do want to direct you uh, to classroom one. It's where we're going to have some live Q and A questions that you have. You can do that by clicking on the map at the lower uh, bottom right of your screen. Please, please, please stay connected to this discussion because there are more leaders around the country and around the world that we're going to be having conversations with that can actually take you further faster as we dialogue together. Well, we are now going to be into the part of this show where we get to take questions from you. So if you want to leave your questions, we'll answer them one by one. And uh, my name, by the way, is Peyton Jones. Um, I have the honor of being the content director for Exponential. But uh, even more importantly, I get to be Ralph Moore's friend. So that's, uh, that's what we're here to do today is kind of pick his brain. It's very rare that you get to um, really just kind of interact at this level. So, Ralph, thanks for, uh, for having me on here with you today. Oh, man, it's exciting to, to just pick up on the friendship. <laughs> well, hey, the first question that we have today 
is I'm the group's discipleship pastor in a mega church here in San Diego. So he's in our neck of the woods, Ralph. Wow. And he says, we're moving towards church planning in 2021. What steps can I take in my area of ministry to help us become a level five church? Wow. Uh, the, the first step is to make sure that your, your lead pastor is fully on board with this. Otherwise, it's a death wish your job. <laughs> um, you're going to, you're going to do some things you think are really wise things that are uh, going to bless everybody in the church. And, and then it's going to run cross grain, uh, especially when you start thinking about, uh, giving away money, giving away people. And, you know, I, I was the lead pastor. Um, we were a church in Hawaii, eventually about 2,200 people, pretty much the same size we were when I left, uh, Hermosa Beach, California. We have, uh, Four different times, giving away 20% of our people. One Sunday, we gave away 25% of our people. We're just used to doing that, and a lot of money goes out the door with it. And we gave the money going out the door. So uh, those are the kinds of issues that you're getting into if, if you're going to go there. Um, other than that, I, I would just say you, know, you need to read some books. Uh, I wrote a book called Let Go of the Ring that kind of it's different than a how-to book. I mean, it's got plenty of how-to in it, but it walks you through a life of doing this stuff. And um, if, yeah, if I could say as well, book. Ralph, you uh, for those of you that don't know, I mean, Ralph's, Ralph's written a number of books, but I want to ask Ralph, what do you think is the most important book you've read? And it was Letting Go of the Ring. That's what you told me. But that was probably what you felt was your most, if you were going to only read one book, by Ralph would be let go of the ring. And while we're talking about books, I, I just came out with another book and it's called uh, your book as your business card. And the subtitle is the book every church planter should write. Nice. And actually what it does is it takes guys through um, what are your values? What's your vision? What's your call to the ministry? What's your struggles that you maybe rejected the call for a little while? Um, the struggles that you faced along the way uh, what is your mission? What is your strategy? What do you want me to do? And and the idea is it's 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 the new pastor's version of my book, Let Go of the Ring. It's the book that <clears throat> introduces you to a community. Uh, it's a, it's the book that you can give away free if you're doing you know like Facebook ads and stuff like that. To, to you want to get collect people's email addresses, offer them something free. And you know if you if you write books and publish them on Amazon, you have no money in it. It's not like these you know publishers that charge you seven thousand dollars to have two thousand copies of your book the book only exists until it's printed on a hard drive so yeah i i think you 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 in the in the role that this person is in asking these questions it's a sweet place to be uh, i i would love that job but it, the the major deal is make sure that you are, are in lockstep with your lead pastor and pretty much the board but you know if you got it with the lead pastor pretty covered. That's really good. So, uh, so he says, you know, um, what steps can I take in my area of ministry to become a level five church? So on one hand, he's getting ready to plant out. And I love how you've mentioned that um, from the sending side, uh, the sending church has, they have to understand investment. That's what I hear you saying. They have to invest. And so He's got to build that relationship to see that, hey, I'm something worth investing in. I'm a leader worth investing in. This mission is worth investing in. How does he do that? 
Now, is he is he the leader who's getting ready to to launch out himself, or is he getting ready to to modify the church DNA so that they're ready to launch pastors? That's a that's a good question. You know, as I look at what he's asked, it's not clear because the question is, we are moving towards church planning in 2021. And he says, I'm the group's discipleship pastor in a megachurch. What steps can I take in my area of ministry? So he may not be the one planting out. He may be well, let's sending. Talk, let's talk about it from, from two different levels. One is I think that we all operate of kind of like, a, 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 for better word, a marketing funnel. You know, that, that are, are in my situation, the people are out there doing frontline evangelism. It's friendship evangelism. It's discipling people who don't yet know Jesus. They end up bringing them in the door. Uh, we we have a, a, a very much, uh, we've aligned and sync everything that we're doing. Uh, kind of like an Apple store. You know, they, they, they conceptualize a product. They design a product. They get somebody to build the product. And they retail the product. They do the marketing. So we want everything to kind of line up. <clears throat> and so what we did, and I, and I see churches really struggling with this. I'm, I, I'm coaching several large churches that are trying to turn into what it seems like this questioner is asking, how do we turn our church into a platform for multiplying churches? And uh, one, one church, I, I gave him a little homework. I, you know, from if, if this guy in this neighborhood adjacent to the church, which that church isn't reaching, happens to come in the door and find the Lord because somebody in your church brought him to the Lord, what do you got to get to? for that guy to go plant a church two and a half years from now in that neighborhood where he lives. And, and so I asked him, you know, what, what hoops to jump through? And it was kind of like, they're here, they're there, they're all, they're, all these things are all over the place. And you got to go through all these things before we're going to believe in you. But there was no alignment. There, there, there was no unification to the process. So I would say, begin to build into your disciple-making processes something that's a continuum the term I use, disciple-making continuum, that leads you to the point where you go out the door to, to launch a church. And so uh, in, in terms of church culture, that's massive, and uh, it, it doesn't come overnight. You can't just make a decision and it's done. You're, you're going to have to, you know, take care. <clears throat> the other thing, if, if on, on the other hand, if this guy's getting ready to go out the door, again, I want backing. Uh, I, I'm going to ask for some pulpit time. Uh, for sure, I'm going to ask that the congregation be alerted to this because I know some big churches. In fact, the church I've been attending here in San Diego, the guy was on staff for 11 years at a very large church. And, and when he left, they stood him up and said he's leaving. And they prayed for him and didn't even let him say goodbye to the congregation. Uh, tough deal. You, there, there needs to be a sense of we're all in this thing together. And then what I would be asking if I was going out the door is, for, for follow-through time with whoever sent me out. Uh, one, one of the things that Ed Stetzer has discovered in looking for correlators to success in church multiplication is that money is no correlation to, offers no correlation to success. Education level offers no correlation to success. Coaching does. If you're coached before you go and you're coached after you go, you're going to succeed. And so I'd be asking for, you know, can I meet with you for coffee every Wednesday for six months? Because I th think that's the kind of stuff that guys need. So I like that. So you mentioned, um, ask for pulpit time, uh, that the congregation be alerted to mission 
and then also follow up time um, with someone for uh, discipleship. And, you know, uh, obviously they've come to the, um, the right place, right? They're, they're asking, hey, I want to be a level five multiplier. For those of you that don't know, because Ralph, Ralph isn't going to toot his own horn, but um, when Exponential looked for a multiplying leader, they could not find someone uh, alive who was a level five multiplier. And when they found Ralph, it was kind of like, you know, whenever I hear that story, it reminds me of when William Randolph Hearst sent his people out to, to find, you know, these rare pieces of art. And they came back and said, we, we, we couldn't find them. No one can find them anywhere. Turned out they were in his own warehouse. And I, 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 when I first heard this story, it reminded me of that. And I, I thought, you know, here's Ralph Moore. Um, he's been around, you know, he's, he's, he's quite well known. And I went to, to Hope Chapel in Hermosa Beach years ago because you and I had a mutual friend in Perry Ching. But, you know, it, it was funny because I didn't know you then, but I saw this church. I could see this huge church. I could see it had all this ministry, had this active surf ministry. But your real legacy isn't just the local impacts. It goes deeper than that. It's been your influence in people over decades and so uh, talk to us a little bit about the role that discipleship has played since you ended on that in your last question. What's the role that discipleship has played in you influencing generations of leaders to become a level five multiplier? Well, honestly, I don't even like the word discipleship because I think we've dumbed it down to uh, not really <laughs> meaning a fully dedicated, committed uh, Romans 12 verse two follower of Jesus. I think, Discipleship means that you you get 20 minutes with your Bible and a cup of coffee in the morning and you toss up a couple of prayers and we call that discipleship and, and it, it's nowhere near. Uh, to me, it's a lifestyle thing. Uh, it, disciple making is a term I prefer. Uh, we built a disciple making continuum into the churches that I pastored so that when you got in the door and everything was pretty unified, we didn't have a lot of extraneous classes. We figure I'm, I'm just a, through the through the year. I mean, through the through the Bible, chapter by chapter. Not real expository. Pre, keep it light. Keep it funny. Always start with a parable, and the parable is something that went on in somebody's life in the church. So I'm making heroes out of people who are doing right things. And then here's how that applies to the Bible. And then when we get into the disciple making groups, um, we ask three questions, and and we did this because we wanted a model that could go anywhere. It could go to, to West Africa, it could go to Mongolia, to places I go, and, and, and train guys where they have no money. And so they got a Bible, and it's all they got, and if they got that. So we, 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 we built this thing around three questions. Do we use this when we're doing leadership with books, but we mostly use it when we're doing disciple making in groups in the church. And the, and the first question is, what did the past, what did the Holy Spirit say to you? While the pastor was talking, you know, I do some pretty brilliant sermons, but quite often that's not what really changes people's lives. It's whatever the spirit says, and they may be daydreaming while the spirit talked. But we just wanted to put your life out there for the rest of us, and so we can examine each other. And then the second question is, what will you do about it? Somebody countered me and said, you should ask, what are you going to do in the next forty-eight hours? You know, what's step one? And so now there's a, a kind of accountability. When I announce that I'm going to do something, I'm probably going to follow through. And then the third uh, question that we ask is, how can we help you? So spiritual gifts begin to emerge and, and all that. 
when we see somebody's got potential as a leader, then that person, uh, the leader of the disciple making group, will ask that person to be an apprentice. And hopefully, you got two apprentices going all the time. And once you see the groups large enough, it's getting ready to to hive off and multiply. Uh, you, what you want to do is, is is start trading off more often with your number one apprentice. But when you leave to go start a new one, because that's the only way we started new groups, you take your number three apprentice. You take the weakest leader with you, who now has become the number one apprentice in the new role. But if we see a person do that three times, they they, they launch three micro churches within our church, then we're going to have a little talk. Because I believe this person is a church planter, and they probably just don't know it. And so this is where we've been getting all these pastors from. Uh, we know of over 2,400 churches around the world, and that was like six years ago. So I have no idea. We, as, as a movement, you don't keep records very well. As a network, you do. Uh, control issues uh, vary from level four to level five. Level five, you kind of let a lot of stuff go. <clears throat> level five. You work with people who theologically are a little different than you. Um, I kind of come from a Wesleyan bent, but I work with Calvinists. And I work with people who are extreme Pentecostals. You know, it's just, if you love Jesus, I love you. And so um, we, we've tried to just keep everything very simple, um, very unified, and very, very Bible-oriented. You know, somebody challenged me the other day, and they said, how are you going to send people out without seminary? And how are they going to have, you know, good doctrine and sound, you know, teachings and all that? Well, that comes down to me. It, it, I'm trying to, you know, I went to a, two theological institutions, and I, in one, I took pastoral epistles from a guy that just made it fun to get deep in the Bible. And so my, he's my model. I want to be that guy, and, uh, and I want to link it to the life of what's going on in the congregation. So, uh, you know, we, we think there's over a quarter of a million people. Uh, we have no idea now with COVID, one of the guys I interviewed him for my podcast, uh, it won't come out for a couple of weeks, but uh, they were doing about 7,000 people in church when COVID hit. They went real heavy online. <clears throat> they popped to 60,000 and then it fell back, but it only fell back to 25,000. So he's in Hawaii, 10,000 people in Hawaii are, are engaging and he's organizing them into disciple-making groups, and in 15,000 people around the world, when, whenever there was a hot spot, like when Italy was a hot spot, they started running Facebook ads in Italy. When Spain had the problem, they started focusing on Spain. They've actually started microchurches, actually pretty big, digi churches. They're not microchurches. They're pretty big. And so um, are we, our numbers, who knows what the numbers are with COVID? The people who are seeing this as an opportunity are ripping and uh, it's just exciting. We, we live in some strange, tumultuous, horrible, and exciting times. Yeah, that is really exciting. And I, you know, I love that approach that I think Paul had, which was um, rather than, and I know you're not like a big um, formula guy, you're not a big, you know, over organization, you are a movement guy. So um, the more I talk to you, the more I start hearing Pauline things like um, where you just said, you know, we, we do mission, we, we do these things, we go on mission, and then we wait for leadership to emerge. And that takes me back to Paul where he's telling Timothy, 
hey, your leaders are the people that exhibit these qualities, right? When he gives Timothy that field guide for elders and deacons, he's telling him to identify what he already sees emerging in others as they're on mission. Um, what have, what have been, uh, some of the things that is you've, I mean, you've been around for decades, you've been discipling leaders in the eighties, the nineties, I mean, even before that, but into this new millennium. And I mean, there is no moss grown on Ralph Moore. I mean, you keep up with the times. I know you fairly well and it, you're just always innovating and kind of keeping up and, and you've always got an eye towards a younger generation. What, what have been some of the strengths and weaknesses that you're seeing, um, in the in the generation now, as opposed to maybe a decade, two decades ago, what are what are some of the changes that you see coming at us? Well, I see um, a, a bifurcation. I, I see some people that are uh, absolutely bent on being a mega church. They're they're watching younger guys that are pastoring mega churches, and they're falling into the trap of imitation, and and that sickens me. That it, it it's really really sad because uh, there's so much that we sacrifice so often. <clears throat> the, the real successful megachurch pastors of the, of the last 40 years probably were uh, Ephesians 4 evangelists. And so we called them pastor. But what they did was ev- use Sunday morning as evangelism, where I believe evangelism, Acts chapter 2, it comes from having favor with the neighbors and the Lord adding daily, and I think that when when you talk daily, we're not talking Sunday morning. And so I, I think there are some some horrendous uh, compromises being made. I've seen several churches where uh, there's been a handoff, a successful handoff, and then uh, the the guy I, I was talking to a guy this morning where uh, somebody just took over the church and basically threw over all the old people who had built it and <clears throat> turned it into something different. That's tragic to me. On the other hand, there's this huge renewed interest in making disciples and multiplying churches, and it's young guys that are carrying the freight. You know, um, about 40% of all churches that are planted in America are planted by congregations that are smaller than 200 people. You know, what our original questioner asked, I'm going to make a church, we're trying to do this. That's a hard thing to do when you got big bills and, you know, mortgage and all those kind of things. But I'm actually seeing, I'm quite surprised. You know, I wrote a book for Exponential uh, called Mega Multi Multiply. And the idea is the mega church didn't get the job done. We've had 40 years of that. And the big C church has shrunken while individual churches got big. Um, then we went to, to multi-site and, you know, you, you added capacity, but it's really still, uh, it's kind of level three. I call it level three and a half. And some of those guys are actually turning their sites into churches, which I think is a, a good thing. But um, so the, 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 the premise of the book was mega didn't do it, multi hasn't done it. Now let's multiply. I think it should be called mega multi micro because um, it's the micro church that we focused on in that book. How to, how to get your people a lawyer in your church and a plumber in your church to, to maybe stay in your church. But on Tuesday night they're in a bar someplace, they're meeting with a bunch of lawyers and it becomes a micro church. How do we, how do we accomplish that? And honestly, when I wrote the book, I'm excited about it. Todd Wilson's excited about it. Um, we did it together. 
I'm not sure that anybody else is excited about it, but I'm getting all kind of feedback and, and actually more than I can handle. I get people emailing me through my website. Can we talk? I'm, I'm trying to do a micro church and it's like, Oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed here. Um, COVID has me doing stuff around the world without flying, which is really cool, but I'm a pretty busy guy, but I'm just excited that I see, um, you know, because of exponential 10 years ago, 4% of all churches in America had ever reproduced, including church splits, and a large percentage of that was church splits. And now we're up to 7%, almost double in 10 years. And I would lay that whole thing at the feet of, of exponential. I think it's just a wonderful thing that is, has taken place. But the cool thing is that through exponential, I'm getting to meet so many people I never knew before. And so many of the young ones are coming and going, you know, I design websites for a living. I don't want to give that up. How can I start microchurches? In fact, how can I start a movement of microchurches? And so a uh, very, very interesting thing. I was just talking to a guy in, in uh, South Carolina, and he, he, he started a, a church, and then they threw him out. <clears throat> At some point, they go, you're too old. We want to be a megachurch. You're too old to be a megachurch pastor. We're following these guys, and they fired him. I mean, incredible. He goes to work in a factory. This is going to be on my podcast this, this week. He goes to work in a factory, and uh, the, the, the next thing he knows is people come around going, are you that rabbi? Are you, are you a priest? What? I know that you, know, you did some kind of church thing. And, and so he's, he's got all these new friends, and they're opening up. One guy's got pancreatic cancer. Another guy's wife just left him, and, and, and he's become buddies with these people. Then he gets called to this really old, like century-old church, and it's kind of on the ropes. They got a building fund, but they're never going to build. And so he goes, maybe this money's for building the body of Christ. Why don't we start planting churches? And so they start looking for opportunities in a hundred-year-old church, and 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 so far I think they're up to like four churches in two two and a half years. Pretty incredible. But then in in our talk, I go. Well, what about the guys back in the factory where you worked? Because he actually lives near the furniture factory where he worked. And, and, and I go, I just want to challenge you. Why don't you just go back, start hanging around with those guys and, and start meeting in a bar on Tuesday nights? And um, he's open to that. And it's, it's as easy as, as that. And, you know, you disciple one of those guys and turn him into a pastor while he's still working in the factory. So, I think the world is pretty bright right now. And uh, one of the things that, you know, I've been involved with uh, exponential learning communities all this week, and I'm hearing story after story of churches that have, are, are really killing online. They, they figured out how to make a, a, a high tech environment into a high touch environment. And so they're, they're having more interaction with people. Uh, some people are preaching to a Zoom screen rather than doing pre-recorded on Facebook Live which allows you to do what we're doing, talk to each other. And so I, I, it's just a bright day for me. I'm pretty excited in the middle of the darkness. Yeah. <clears throat> and that, you know, you mentioned like, you know, all of these different opportunities and the, the, the role of the micro church. It was funny because um, you've been writing about this stuff for the last few years, like you said, with mega multi and then multiply it, or I, I like the, I like this other title, right? But you know, you, uh, you've been kind of on the cutting edge of this. Of course, you're, you're really in touch 
in a lot of different places in the world. In fact, you might be one of the most internationally including guys I know who's not actually overseas because of all the people you work with in Asia and your connections through Hawaii. I mean, every time I talk, you and Ruby are globetrotting, right? I know you've been grounded recently, but you guys have, you've been all over the world. You've seen what's happening in the kingdom of God all over. And one of my questions I want to get to was what you've seen all over. But before, if time allows, we'll get to that. But really, I guess what's really standing out to me, um, yesterday I was speaking with Alan Hirsch. I had a conversation with Hugh Halter and just chatting with him where like Hugh made the comment. He said, you know, people are asking me, what are you going to write? And he goes, I've already written it. I've been writing for years what the church needs to hear now. And I think there's many of us that are authors that have felt it's almost like we were given uh, a prophetic burden to discharge over the last few years. In my book, Church Zero, I mentioned something like, hey, if this doesn't make sense now, wait five to 10 years. Of course, none of us saw COVID-19 coming. What do you feel right now? Um, you know, you mentioned micro churches. How does how do you think leaders ought to be thinking about micro in the face of COVID nineteen? Well, I think it's not only in the face of COVID nineteen. I, I think we're looking at a country that we live in, uh, probably the fifth largest mission field on the planet, a country that has long since turned its back on the gospel. We're only going to reach those people relationally, but as the political climate is changing, what we're seeing in I mean beyond Black Lives Matter. Uh, Black Lives Matter, by the way. Uh, I don't know about the organization, but, you know, sadly, that the streets now are carrying the message that the church should have been proclaiming, that we're supposed to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves, And we, we haven't done a good job of doing that, nor of really proclaiming that in, in ways that were meaningful to people. So I think we're in for some tight times. I, I mean, as I look at the election coming up, uh, we could be in for church properties paying taxes, uh, we, nonprofits and churches paying taxes on their income. Uh, certainly the, the, the thing that pastors treasure, that housing allowance, is going to go away in some period of time. And so uh, real estate is going to become a whole different issue for us. I think that we really need to be thinking smaller and, and, smaller and more rather than large mega. You know, I, I counted up, um, I went through my passport a couple of years ago, and, and I found 28 countries. I know I've been to Ireland since. <clears throat> so um, I've been teaching church multiplication all over the world. And I, I was in Mongolia in the year 2000. It's 11 years since the Soviets left the country. And about one half of 1% were following Christ. And I'm in this room with uh, 25 people. They're sitting in a big U. There all all week for five days, and uh, three of them had been officers in the Roman army, a Russian army, and were pastors. And these guys hated the idea of church multiplication. They just were not going to plant a church. And uh, sitting at the at the front of the U, right next to me, on, on on my left hand is a guy who was a train robber. I, I mean, this is a crazy thing. He, he would sit next to you on the train, pull a knife out, take your watch and your wallet, jump off at the next stop. His sister found Jesus, and she challenged him, and she said, I'm praying. She found Philippians, and where Paul talked about uh, being arrested for the sake of the gospel. She goes, I'm praying this happens to you. Two days later, he was arrested. 
he gave his life to Jesus. He and this other guy, this young medical doctor who had quit medicine to become the pastor of like six people on a Baptist missionary went home from Mongolia. This is the Wild West going on there. And these guys are fighting me like crazy. The last day they both got it. I don't know what happened to the train robber, but the doctor started seven churches in 12 months. And I went back to Mongolia and we drove like 320 miles along the edge of the Gobi Desert. We get way out in the Thule's where uh, they, people live in what we would call a yurt, they call it a gear. And the church is in a gear, but it's actually somebody's house. And this is a church that moves with the grass. When the livestock eats all the grass, the people got to move. And so very portable church situation. And so what I think is that Americans need to, uh, to, to, to realize we live in this very privileged society with all this money, all this technology, all this ability to do all these things. What are they doing out there in Africa? Or what are they doing in Mongolia where they have virtually nothing? What are they doing right now in COVID where all you got is your cell phone as a, as a means of communicating with your people because everybody's in isolation because these guys are getting it done. And uh, a, a lot of what they're doing though is microchurch and they're, they're bivocational or co-vocational or freelance, whatever you want to call it. But, but, but we have a lot to learn from our brothers in, in, in the more developing nations of the world. And the other thing about that is it looks an awful lot like the New Testament. I, I was on a, a Zoom call with somebody, and they're whining about, you know, that they have a hard time making technology work. And, you know, my, my, my friend Myron Pierce had said, well, you know, if, if they take away the Internet from us, we'll just start writing letters. We'll go to mail. And, uh, and, and everybody laughed at that. And it's like, yeah, but that's what Paul did. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, w- one of the things that you all have to know about Ralph is he is a bona fide um, dyed-in-the-wool practitioner. I think like Paul, the day that he breathes his last will be the day he stops doing what he's talking about. And that's always been refreshing. So I want to encourage those of you that have joined us today. First off, I want to thank you for joining us today, um, but also encourage you to track with us every week. There's been a lot of excitement generated about this show. I'm on the receiving end, being able to receive emails, people saying, hey, I want to blog about this because we're, we're obviously, if you haven't checked out multiply.org, then um, you probably should get over there. We're starting to write articles on this topic. Ralph is supplying blogs, um, leading up to this, really upped our blog game. Um, and, and we're heading into kind of a new shift, a new season. Now, I want to just really highlight the fact that um, there aren't many places where you can come and talk to someone like Ralph for free and pick his brain. So that that's pretty cool. Like that's an honor for me to be a part of because to me, you know, I was the poor church planner overseas. So to be able to have this kind of access, definitely make the most of it. Um, this is just Ralph going, Hey, I love the body of Christ. I just want to serve. I want to help people get started. I want to catalyze movements. And, uh, you know, if, if you're sitting there going, man, I, I think I want to, I, I want this to go beyond me. I want to have influence where I'm not at the center, but Christ is rather than like impact where it's me and everything around me is changing. I want influence. That's, that's kind of like you said, Ralph, where you opted, you know, uh, you've led mega churches, but you said, you know, there's more. And 
there is more than impact where you're at the center. Like Ralph talked about young guys coming, they want to be the big wambooey. There's influence and it's deeper and it's more lasting and it will last outlast you. It will outlast your ministry. So check that out. Myron Pierce is also a practitioner. He happens to be someone that Ralph is actively discipling, which I love. You're modeling even on this, what you're doing. And he's discipling me as to how to do DigiChurch. I'm learning so much from Myron. It's crazy. Yeah, he's thriving, and we don't have time to talk about it, but this is the genius of the show is check back in because uh, Ralph interviews Myron, Myron interviews Ralph, and uh, you get to hear about Myron starting churches during lockdown. So uh, anyways, guys, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we will see you next week, and don't forget that tomorrow, if you're listening to this live, um, tomorrow is Candid Conversations, and be sure to check out our shows Monday to Thursday, four new shows every week. Ralph, I want to thank you for sharing your time with everybody. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this Exponential Podcast recorded in our online community. We hope you enjoyed the content. In the fall of 2020, along with our community online daily content like you just listened to, Exponential is hosting roundtable events across the country and building a leader kit with over 100 plus resources. All of this is to help you engage in a healthy conversation for kingdom collaboration, diversity, and unity to advance church multiplication in your city. Visit multiplication.org for more.